Today's episode is sponsored by Rare Birds Book Club, a monthly book subscription run by a female-led bookshop in Edinburgh using newly published paperbacks where every book has its own special edition cover. Featuring female-only authors, you choose your book from two short blurbs, so it's like a surprise gift to yourself. The title of the book and name of the author are only revealed when the book arrives through your door each month. But don't worry, on the off chance you receive your book and it's something you've read before, they'll exchange it for you, no questions asked. The team at Rare Birds follow up each month with a Q&A from each author on the book, recommend reading for what to read next, and amazing discounts on up to 50% off RRP on newly published fiction and non-fiction. From just £15 a month, including postage and packaging, you'll receive all of this while supporting female authors and a female-led business. And especially for our listeners, you can get 10% off the rolling monthly subscription with code BOOKRECOS10 at www.rarebirdsbooks.com. Thank you, Rare Birds Book Club. Welcome to Book Records Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Records. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. Today we have the pleasure of being joined by the one and only Janice Hallett. You may have read the appeal or maybe the deciphered code, but this week her next book, The Mysterious Case of the Alperton Angels, is publishing and we are so excited to sit down and chat with her about all her books. And it'll be spoiler-free, as always. Welcome to the Book Records podcast, Janice. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a delight to be here. Oh, honestly, we are so excited. Lauren and I are just huge fans of um, your books, your three books. So you've written three. So um, there's The Appeal. There's the Twyford Code and then your newest book, The Mysterious Case of the Alperton Angels. And so we want to touch on all three of them today because how could we not? We have you here and we need to talk to you about them. Um, But let's kick things off with Alperton Angels, which is um, when this podcast comes out, it publishes the day after. Um, So would you mind kicking us off by telling our listeners what um, mystery awaits for them in The Mysterious Case of the Alperton Angels? Yes, indeed. The lengthily titled The Mysterious Case of the Alberton <laughs> Angels, is, um, it's about two true crime authors who are racing each other to a key interviewee who played a, a big role in a an historical crime that happened 18 years ago. And at the time, this um, person was a baby. So now they're 18 years old, they can be interviewed as an adult. And our two journalists are um, at loggerheads as they try to find try to trace this this person who went back into the care system pretty quickly after this um well, it's a case of a cult that happened 18 years ago it was a group of men who considered themselves to be angels that were sent to earth to um kill the newborn antichrist and they um believed that one of their cult members babies was indeed that antichrist and they were going to kill it but luckily she and the baby's father um came to their senses and escaped with the baby uh, so all was well back then. The um, Well, I mean, not for all the angels, because they either killed themselves or were imprisoned. Um, 
but yeah, that, that so everything was done and dusted back then. But uh, Amanda, as she researches this particular case, um, digs up some things that nobody realised at the time. And uh, we start investigating this case all over again. And I should say that at the beginning of the book, uh, we're asked to read all the documents in it, because like my other books, this isn't a straightforward narrative. <laughs> we read all the letters and emails and transcriptions and yeah. research in this book and we have to make a decision at the end of it what to do so uh, that's probably all I can say yeah <laughs> and I don't think you even need to say anymore I think <laughs> that alone just having a mission to mm. um, be part of the journey with the private detectives and investigators or journalists is such a unique format and I think that's something that Jess and I have have really enjoyed about all three of your books is how interactive they are and how engaging they are and um, as you say in the case of Albert and Angels it, there's a letter at the very beginning of the book which sort of tells the reader that they have this safety deposit box and it's got all the files for this case and within these files there should be answers to help solve the mystery and 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 to crack this sort of cult conspiracy, which is so unusual and so fun. What gave you the idea initially to construct your stories in this way? Well, there's loads and loads of, of, of inspirations go into each each novel. So it's hard to say exactly what. Mm. I think part of it was when I worked on magazines for each edition. I would put all of my research into a plastic folder and stack right. it away. And I'd, I'd keep it for three or four years just in case anyone came back mm -hmm. to check anything that I'd written or that had been written for the for the magazine. So I, I ended up with a big bunch of research material for each edition. And I thought, well, I, I'm doing the same thing really with books because I'm ending up with the same thing. So yeah. I thought, well, it'd be strange to just just read the research material. And not the not the magazine. This is something I thought of when I was kind of getting tired of making oh, magazines. Interesting. So just give, give give the readers this research material; they can do their own um, sifting of it. Uh, so I had that thought, and then I thought, well, how could I write a book that was just the research material? And I, I suppose it, it came from there. Love that. Oh, that's brilliant. And that kind of brings me on to another question that me and Lauren, we've talked about this a lot on our podcast. Whenever we read a mystery or a crime book, we're like, how do they do it? And we're convinced that you guys must have a board like, like the police do with lists of suspects and the string going from one to another and loads of locations. We just cannot fathom, especially with your ones, which are so layered. Um, so please, please, will you tell us about this writing process? Because we think it must be just as hard to write a mystery as it is to solve it. Well, do you know, I wish I knew how they were written. Because <laughs> every time I start a new book, I think, well, I've written, you know, X number before. I should now know how it's done. And I don't at all. I do know that I don't have any um, plans beforehand. I don't really make any, no, no, no plot planning at all. I just set off. Wow. Right, as it as the mood takes me, and where the characters take me, really, I suppose I think they're key. I tend to follow characters on journeys. Interesting. And, and so you must have to be very disciplined then to be able yeah, to I mean, do that. Because if I were to write a book, that's probably how I'd write one. But that's probably why I haven't written one as well, because <laughs> I've got nothing to keep myself accountable to or on track. So it. 
discipline is just key to being a writer it really is and particularly of novels because I've, mm. I've written pre- pretty much every yeah. kind of thing I haven't written poems so don't worry about that um, <laughs> but apart from that I've written everything and for novels more than anything you have to be very disciplined and to write every day I mean for me it doesn't work yeah. to have weekends off even I have to write something mm-hmm. every single day and keep that work in progress um, at the forefront of my mind yeah. Uh, so yeah discipline is key I, I'm not sure I don't know about plotting whether that's um, such so, so much to do with discipline I tend to have to get to the end of a first draft before I know what a book's about right. and it's then that I can start moving things around and deleting things that don't belong adding things in that do belong um, which is kind of at the stage I'm at with my next uh, novel mm. my fourth book Wow, oh, exciting. Yeah, so I know I can speak now about yeah. what, how I do that little bit because I'm doing it right now with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a really, it's a weird process coming up with a book and especially a book like this, which is yeah. full of um, twists and turns in very disparate sorts of materials, all sorts of different characters talking in different manners. So yeah, yeah. Uh, while I'm writing it, I keep it all in my head. And it, but it does go. Uh, that is, that, uh, I have to revise. Mind-blowing. Like that has just made these books even more impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just in your head. That's wild. Um, I love that. And um, Lauren actually read this book just before me. So she sent me her own conspiracy theory. And um, it was around the fact that we both grew up in Harrow. So we we know Northwest London, where a lot of the book is set. And so she was oh, wow. going on the internet. She was like, oh, and there's a character called this. Do we think it could be <laughs> like doing her own wow. mystery solving? <laughs> And so um, it just made me wonder, is this book or are there parts of this book or actually any of your books um, that are ever based on real crimes? Real crimes? Um, or mysteries? Yes, in a way. I did a lot of research into cults and there mm. are a good number of cults that felt that they were hunting the Antichrist on me, or they had some kind of Antichrist focus yeah. um, to their beliefs. There was lots of that. Um any other reality it's certainly set in a real place I mean Alperton is a real place as you you know if you if you're from Harrow (laughs) I'm from North Alt it's uh, it's it's a very sort of faceless suburb really it's a dormitory suburb of London Uh but it's got North Island and yes, North Isla Field. Park run at North Isla yeah (laughs) really do do that because my uh, my other half um does that park run so it's very much anyone who knows this area of London will spot quite a few places yeah. that are are real. I, I've um, taken some liberties with the locations of some other things. Yeah, but yeah, it's Rainers Lane Station and the Costa Coffee there. Costa, there I, I go to a lot of Costa Coffees in this that comes place. through. Yeah, real <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, others as to other things I mean are any of the characters real in particular not really I think Amanda is a mix of um, people I knew when I was a journalist mm, yeah. myself perhaps someone who I would like to have been I was never quite a, the news hound that she was that she is um, so yeah it's uh, th- there's a bit of reality here but I couldn't point to anything in particular yeah. and say yeah that's that's definitely inspired but I I was um I was I think I was thinking a lot of Michelle McNamara when I was writing this and her book I'll be gone in the dark uh, right. not directly related but um the idea of a true crime author becoming obsessed with what they're writing about is mm. definitely a theme that runs through this yeah I love that and yeah um and 
we don't want to say too much about this book as Jess said we don't want to give away any spoilers but it does come out by the time this episode airs tomorrow so it is 100% a book that we think is definitely worthy of pre-ordering so listeners go out and get your hands on a copy now and I'd love if possible to just rewind a little bit and talk about your first book which is The Appeal and Jess and I always say that a sign of a good book is if you can really vividly remember your experience reading it and for me I remember reading it during one of the heat waves in in the summer in my parents garden and I simply could not put it down I think the only time I did actually pause for a moment was to text Jess to make sure that she was reading it at the same time (laughs) so then we could then share back and forth some theories yeah Um, and it was a really fun one to body read actually and um, because it was our first one of yours I remember finding your book and being like Lauren this whole book is emails and we get to be the the detective. And we're growing up, me and Lauren always played detectives. And I was like, Lauren, this is going to be so fun. And so and it honestly was so fun to share our own theories with each other. Um, so just a quick recap for listeners that might not have read it. In fact, Janice, would you like to tell them a bit about what the appeal is like? I would, and because that exercises my memory. To remember <laughs> <Okay>. my <thoughts. laughs> Yes, the appeal is about um, two... Um, it's a couple who've been overseas for eight to ten years and they've been uh, volunteering, volunteer medics in war zones. And they come back to the UK for reasons we won't know until later in the book. They come back and they try and fit in to a, a small community, a small town. Uh, they make a go of their, their new lives. And um, part of that is joining the local amateur drama company um, at the behest of uh, one of their friends from work, Izzy, who's a nurse. Um, it's a very uh, divisive character in the book. Uh, <laughs> yes. I love her. Not everybody I loves love her. her. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as these, these two medics try and um, fit in back into English society, uh, they notice some anomalies in a, a campaign that uh, two members of this drama group are running for their granddaughter's uh, health care. And they, their experiences overseas make them see the world differently so are they reading too much into it or are they correct um, that's and then somebody dies and this is I mean it's not only fun to try and read between the lines of all these emails but it's also just so fun where the the, the plot of characters is a group of Amdram performers because they you know there's a certain personality that comes with that and they, and they all clash and because there's also this fundraiser there's like a separate like sort of fundraising committee edge to it and, and I work with fundraising committees so like <gasps> there's just so much opportunity for drama and funny characters and and just so brilliant and so actually I wanted to talk to you a bit about your characters in the appeal but I guess also throughout all your books because we kind of get to know all of these people through voice recordings in, in some books or just from how they email people, you know, we're not bogged down with the colour of the hair, the order of what coffee they ordered and, and the, the day-to-day that you might get in a, another type of novel. Um, but they feel like really real people. And we know them just from all this different um, sort of su- the supply that you give us, whether that's emails or a case file or whatever. And how does that work for you do you still have to do all of those exercises that an author might have to to get to know a character or again does that just come out and then because you did say that that sort of leads the plot for you definitely I think I jump into every character 
and okay. I speak from their point of view with with each book I, I jump yeah. into them but I think that has a knock-on effect for the reader they can jump into that character so That's you're never true. looking at the characters you're always looking out from their point of view which is why I don't do any of that physical description much because yeah. mm. I want the reader to, th- to think they are that character whenever yeah. they're reading any character so they see the story from every point of view that there is um so yeah that's that's how that works for me but I yeah this um seeing things from one character's point of view is quite sort of empowering as a as a writer Mm. I can't I can't really speak I I mean the third person narrative is something that I haven't really worked in just yet and and that for me will be a challenge because I'm used to jumping into to characters particularly because I come straight from screenwriting to novel writing and with screenwriting the dialogue is an important part of that so you have to be speaking from every character's point of view so I think that's where that comes from but uh, for me it's a source of empowerment interesting it was when I was when I was reading the appeal actually it did make me think I wonder what my character if somebody was to just receive all of my work email (laughs) who would they think I was (laughs) would my personality be coming through most likely because I do put you know smiley faces at the end of messages (laughs) and lots of exclamation marks or do you know what I mean there are ways that your personality comes through but it just it was quite a funny exercise to then think um how how would I come across in this situation so speaking on the appeal and some of the characters that we meet um two of which are Charlotte and Femi who are I believe they're private investigators am I right um, law students law students students, that's right who are working under um a case well he would be a KC now as a QC at that time that's it um and so they've sort of been handed these files along with the reader at the beginning of the book to say sort of cycle through these emails and messages and transcripts and whatever um to try and crack this case that's not been solved um and there are which I thought was such a really interesting dynamic because not only have you just been, you know, like in your most recent book, been given the all of the cases and then it's up to you to sort of piece them together. In the appeal, you're given these two characters, Charlotte and Femi, who are both reading these, reading the documents, but then you get to see their emails about what they think about each of the documents that they've read. And there are certain parts where Charlotte will say to Femi, oh, go back and read this document because now that we know this piece of information this piece of information now makes sense which was such a fun experience as a reader as well because then you could go back and read that document that she's just told Femi to go and read um which I think just it gives the reader a chance to take stock as well because when you're yes. so wrapped up in it, you kind of do need to be like, okay, hang on, let's stand back and look at this case. Where have I got to so far? And and these two characters kind of then allow the reader to do that. Did you write yeah. them in because you needed that? <laughs> I um I didn't start the book with them in, but very very quickly oh, okay. I added them very quickly. I mean, literally within a you know a few pages. I because I felt at that time I'd not written a book before apart from that really excruciating one we all write when we're about 18 apart from that <laughs> um I hadn't written a, no- a novel so as I was writing these emails I thought there has to be a reason why we're reading them there has to be an explanation as to why these are in a book so then I thought that there could be lawyers reading them mm. and it's just a, a spur of the moment thought that ended up sort of serving the story so well 
I was quite yeah. lucky with the appeal that those um, completely innocent um, spur of the moment decisions worked. I don't think it's luck. I yeah. think it's just because you're a genius. I think that's oh. what that is. <laughs> oh, I disagree. <laughs> I was literally about to say the same thing, Jess, because <laughs> I don't think that is luck. Um, well, the appeal is absolutely brilliant. If you've been living under a rock for a year and you haven't gone and read it, we urge you to to crack on because it is amazing. Um, so let's talk quickly then about your second book the twyford code which i think if i was ranking my favorites i think twyford code is my favorite um would you mind controversial (laughs) yes Um, and jess and i actually we spoke about um we've spoken about your books previously on the podcast and jess i think your fave is the appeal isn't it yes it was at that time and now i just don't know if afton angels has looked at it because yeah I'm weighing it up still. Come back to me at the end. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, Janet, would you do us the honours one more time of dropping a bit of a synopsis for The Twyford Code? The Twyford Code is uh, about um, Steve Smith. He's uh, the main character in The Twyford Code, and he's uh, a former prisoner. He's just been released after a long stretch in, inside. He's in his 50s, and he's going straight. And at the behest of his probation officer, He's looking back on an episode in his youth, in his teenage years. He um, had a, experienced a trauma, but he doesn't quite remember. But now he wants to go back and investigate it. And this happened when he was 14. He was taken on a school trip by his remedial English teacher to Bournemouth. Now, Miss Isles um, took the class to Bournemouth and she didn't come home. She disappeared. And Steve can't quite remember. The the most he remembers from that time is that after that happened, he went off the rails, um, ended up leaving home, joining a gang. And that Mm. eventually landed him in prison for a very long time. So he's he's going back to to investigate this. But uh, that's complicated because um, Steve never learned to read back then. He's been illiterate most of his life. Um, And it's only just now that um, he took an experimental reading class in prison that he's learned how to read and he still can't write. So he has to record his investigations on his old iPhone. And what we're reading is automatic transcriptions of his um, his diary as he looks into the past and he goes back to visit his old classmates to see what they remember. He ha- ends up having to go back to visit his brother who he's estranged from. And um, gradually he pieces together um, the fact that when his teacher disappeared, she'd become convinced that a disgraced children's author called Edith Twyford had hidden coded messages in her children's books that were published um, in the 1940s, but that still might have some relevance today. And he himself starts to investigate that himself. You've passed Gosh, all our I've tests got... of getting you to do the synopsis. That was fabulous. Well done. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. It really is an exercise of memory. It really is great. <laughs> um, gosh, there's just so many questions I want to go into you about this book. And as you say, the story is set around this fictional author, Edith Twyford, who has written a series called The Super Six. But as you said, for many reasons, the book has been deemed inappropriate or controversial and banned in schools. Um, But Stephen believes that, and his teacher 
missiles believe that the book contains this code which will once cracked direct people to some treasure some gold um so firstly i have to ask you was edith twyford and her super six series inspired in any way by enid blyton who had books of a similar series like the famous five and whose works were also well now deemed inappropriate 100 <laughs> percent yay we cracked it <laughs> you did you solved that that um, particular mystery um yeah when i first very very first conceived of this idea many years ago i thought it would be a screenplay in about 2006 i thought of it as the blighton code but when mm, i came yes. to look at um enid blighton's work i couldn't impose any sort of code on on those books i thought it's just gonna be so much easier to fictionalize okay. that, that author and fictionalize the works as well so that's that's what i did but yeah i mean i read enid blyton's books avidly as a child and Same. um when i say didn't do me any harm but <laughs> you know other no, people may argue that they <laughs> um, but yeah no it's 100 percent um inspired brilliant well i was oh. really hoping that you might have uncovered some sort of secret conspiracy around Enid Blyton and I then wondered if your book was a code of a code <laughs> well you, was, you never know hoping. <laughs> maybe I hoping is a better is a yeah better like 70 years time there could be someone you know writing yeah. a book called the Hallett Code <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast and it's like 50 years time you know that's a good idea for you if you're a budding novelist <laughs> Uh, so um, as you mentioned in your synopsis like all your books um, this one has a different creative storytelling technique um, and this is transcribed voice recordings and so at the beginning of the book you include a key um, so even as you just said Miss Isles I was like I heard missiles because in the book the transcription hears it as missiles so it sort of reminds you of that um, there's also sometimes must have comes out as mustard and sometimes if there's lots of h's at the beginning of a transcription it means that there was a fuzzy noise so I'm, i mean i was interested to know before but now i know that so much of it is in your head now i really need to know if that made it hard to keep track of like did you ever sort of read it as yeah. a different <laughs> word to what it should um, be yourself really weirdly because the, the, the triford code i wrote over lockdown so i had a lot of time and quiet time to concentrate mm. on it which I really did need um, but no that I kept all that in my in my mind and maybe because it's just one character maybe that was slightly easier to do whereas the appeal and um, the Alberton Angels are both quite large casts yeah whereas Twyford Code we yeah. are following one character's journey so maybe that made it slightly easier to be more complicated in some of the prop plots and some That's of the narrative true. aspects. Um, but what I, I knew I wanted from the beginning to create a book where we're um, reading lots of codes without realising it. Yeah. And the transcription key is one. Um, Steve's accent is another. The mishearing of the mm -hmm. software is, is another code. And Steve's um, use of codes. He, he uses a lot of Cockney rhyming slang and, yeah. and other sort of slang that he'll almost make up as he goes along to... Uh, <laughs> And we're, we're kind of following that as well. And by the end, I think we're reading codes without realising it. Yeah, we absolutely are. And I, <laughs> if it's not already clear, we are both in complete awe of how you've written these books. For me, particularly this one, I mean, the hundred, the final hundred pages genuinely blew my mind. 
because there is actually a code within a code of the writing itself. So there's a code that you're, you know about upfront, but then when you reach the final hundred pages, you realize there's actually this other code that's been interspersed throughout the book, throughout the whole reading experience um, that completely passed me by and um, went over my head. Did, so did you write the book and then go back and put the code in it? Or did you I'm, write it and embed the code at the same time? A bit of both. Um, I, okay. I wrote it and embedded all the codes that are in it. But I think the polishing those codes up was a big a thing during the editing okay. process. And yeah. I think I changed or, or improved upon or tried to improve upon a few of them right down to the very last um, edit that we have, the, the line edit of the final proofreading I was still changing them and still trying to make them the best they yeah. possibly be um because yeah, it, the, that was quite tricky the, yeah I mean the editing process in itself must have been an absolute nightmare because can you imagine <laughs> like if so, your editor just went back and like changed a sentence oh, or edited oh, a word but then <laughs> luckily, she didn't. The <laughs> luckily she didn't um yeah it's um <laughs> Yeah, you have to you have to be careful because things can be proofed out quite easily yeah, by uh, yeah, a exactly. media proofreader or copy editor. Yeah. They, uh, but we we brief them beforehand and they know what not to touch and what to touch and what yeah. not to. So, okay, uh, good. Yeah, the control you. freak in me was really worried <laughs> for you. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can I ask Janice, do you have a favourite book of the three that you've now written? And actually, in that vein were they all written in the order that they were published in yes they were all written in the order okay. they were published in um and pretty much back to back as well and they they inter okay although overlap i suppose because i'm always finishing one while i'm writing yeah. the next yeah. um, do i have a favorite i've had they're all my favorite for for a reason for a different reason i think um the appeal because it was the first one i wrote and i wrote it so freely and without any deadline or yeah. any so I didn't although I didn't know it was ever going to be published that that was a very freeing experience to write mm. without any you know deadline hanging over me so that was wonderful and the fact that people respond to it so well as as well yeah. is, is just fabulous I mean readers um, love it at uh, the Twyford Code I love because um, it's one character and that character is very close to my heart despite me and him having very little in common I think somehow <laughs> he's a kind of flip side to me maybe if I'd have um been a man and and born you know completely different um circumstances to those which I was got involved in a gang uh, went to prison got involved in, yeah. that would have been me so maybe I see myself <laughs> in Steve because uh, he's that. he really touches my heart and now the Alperton Angels I mean that's almost my current favorite I think yeah. because I love Amanda Bailey and her relationship with Oliver her um mm -hmm. nemesis her colleague and nemesis at the same time um, yeah and, and her relationship with her transcriber, Ellie. Um, yeah. Her, yeah so kind of personal assistant, unofficial personal assistant. Um, so, yeah, I love her and that character. And the mystery of the Alperton Angels is is my favourite mystery that I've written. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're all my favourite for a different reason. <laughs> I think they're all, it's like, yeah, yeah. Like, I wouldn't like to pick one because the others would be jealous. <laughs> That's totally fair. And I can't believe we didn't talk about Ellie soon as she was my absolute favourite character. Oh, I love Ellie babe. too. I yeah. just thought she was brilliant. I need an Ellie. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, we yeah. all need an Ellie. Yeah. And so I need to loop us back to something you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which was that you're currently writing your fourth 
book. Um, and actually, I've read that you've signed a deal with Viper to publish four more books. Is that right? Wow. Yes, takes me up to um, 2028. But I can't think that far in the future. My That's really that reassuring to know that age, we're going to have your it? books for like for the next few years. <laughs> I'm so happy about Congratulations. that. Congratulations. When you're flying yeah. to work with your jetpack, you're going to read one of my books. <laughs> It's just, I mean, the, that's so far ahead, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, no, that's brilliant. I mean, just that's to, so to come amazing. Back to the good news, yes, that's that's um, that's true. Yeah, I should be writing for the foreseeable. Yes, definitely. Um, so, are you able to give us a little teaser on what your fourth book is about? Are you that far into it that you know? I can tell you the title. Okay, Ooh, we'll take it. <laughs> it's called The Examiner. Nice. that's all that's okay. all I can say at the moment that's fine now I our minds can think what kind of examiner what yeah oh, exactly yeah you'd have to be thinking I've got to the end of the first draft so I finally know what it's about congratulations and I'm, I'm shifting things around I'm doing a bit of playing of chess with that yeah. um, manuscript to make it um, the best it can be amazing and am I right in thinking as well that the appeal has been optioned for tv have I made that yes, up both. um the Appeal and the Twyford Code have both been optioned. Wow, um, congrats. The Appeal by ABC in America. Uh, yep. The Twyford Code, um, that's kind of hot off the press news. Uh, it will be announced uh, at some point soon. Who's um, Amazing. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. So, well, very exciting. I'd love to see well, all of them, actually, on the screen. That would be absolutely wonderful. I can't wait. But, but these things take a long time. I mean, so yeah. the whole screen screen as I call it screenwriting it's the whole film and tv industry is very um kind of long-winded it takes ages to yeah. get anything to the yeah. screen it's just the nature of the beast really um, yeah you'll so, have written yeah. four more books by that point <laughs> well have. yeah, yeah. <laughs> easily <laughs> well and you mentioned that you you used to write for television so will you be the screenwriter oh these? yes absolutely oh my yeah. gosh you're going to be so busy uh, yes indeed yeah I've not made many plans for the next four years so well yeah. thanks for squeezing us in we're oh delighted thrilled it's great excuse to not write for um you know <laughs> talk about writing well thank you so much for joining us today Janice we've it's been an absolute pleasure as you can probably see just from the fa- our faces throughout this call we've loved talking to you um, one final question we ask all of our guests, actually, before you go, is can you share a reco with our listeners of a book that you've either read recently or is a favourite of yours that you'd like to reco to our listeners as well? I can recommend a book that is coming out, um, I say ne- next year, but it is this year. It's coming out this spring mm-hmm. and Ooh. it's called A Maiden and it's by Kate Foster. And now it's, uh, it's not my go-to genre which makes it all the more amazing that I I love it so much. It's a masterpiece. It's a historical fiction, but it's an historical um, murder mystery set in, in Scotland. And it's a kind of feminist retelling of a Scottish um, folklore story. But it's absolutely brilliant. Absolutely fabulous. Take wow. my word for it. The Maiden, Kate Foster. Okay. 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 We're going straight on the TBR. Yeah, we'll put That's it in the show rate. notes for listeners as well. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, and yeah, thank you so much. Everybody listening, go and read The Mysterious Case of the Alberton Angels and her other books if you haven't already, because this has just been brilliant. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you both so much because it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, then like, subscribe, leave a rating review. It costs you nothing. It genuinely means the world for us. And don't forget to share our podcast with your reading buddy because they might like to listen to it as well. And if you don't already, then subscribe to our monthly newsletter at www.bookrecos.com for a monthly roundup of our records. See you next week. We'll be here.